Welcome to the Antioch Network Podcast, where we share stories of God at work in our world. My name is Daniel Malikowski, the North American Director of Antioch Network and your host for today's episode. In this podcast, we'll hear from the founders of Antioch Network, George and Hannah Miley, as they discuss the nature and expression of apostolic and prophetic giftings. In doing so, they also share personally how these giftings have manifested in their own lives and marriage and in the work they are now doing through a ministry called Quellen. As we hear the story of God at work in and through the Miley's, we'll hear of his wisdom in ordering the giftings of his spirit for the purposes of revealing his reconciling love in the gospel. My name is Daniel Malakowski. I'm the North American Director of Antioch Network, and for this podcast, I am joined um, by an incredible couple with George and Hannah Miley, the founders of Antioch um, back in 1987, and the leaders of a ministry by the name of Quellen that works on healing the past, transforming the present, and guiding the future. Now, George and Hannah, um, I have known you guys for 12 years, and uh, for you, it's been the latter stage of your life, but for me, it has been during this very formative space of my own, and specifically, uh, George, your book on loving the church, blessing the nations, in chapter 9, you speak uh, to the role of apostolic gifting and apostolic leaders, and when I read that book, and that chapter specifically, it was the first time where I felt like, oh my gosh, who I am in Christ makes sense. And all the confusion that was surrounding personal experiences of gifting started to come to light, and a lot of that confusion was lifted. And so today, I'm excited to get to talk to both of you around that area of gifting, and specifically the gifting of apostolic gifting and the gifting of the prophetic, which each of you have carried uniquely, um, individually, but also as a couple. And so I'm excited to hear from you, how you guys have practically engaged that, how you're still engaging that today. But as we begin the conversation, I know that there's a lot of different understandings as to what apostolic gifting is and isn't, and also what prophetic gifting is and isn't. In honoring the diversity of that, um, I also wanted to set the context of how specifically we are going to be engaging that conversation today. And so I'd love, uh, George, just initially, if maybe you'd be able to share a definition of when we're speaking about apostolic gifting or apostolic calling, what it is and what it isn't. Well, Danny, let me just say to begin with, what a blessing it is for Hannah and me to be able to sit here with you. So thank you for organizing this and making this happen. Um, Our understanding of the apostolic, first of all, there is a combination between or relationship between gifting and calling. God calls us in certain ways, and then he gives us gifts that enable us to fulfill that calling. So our understanding of the apostolic calling is that it is a calling to uh, initiate, initiate new works of God, initiate new churches, initiate new mission uh, organizations, other kinds of things need to be initiated for the kingdom of God to spread throughout the earth. So it's the calling and gifting to initiate. Link with that, the um, 
calling and gifting to lay foundations because when something new is started, foundations need to be laid for that work. Now, of course, the original foundation for all of us is Christ and the apostles, but every new work must be, new foundations must be laid on those original foundations. So the calling to initiate, the calling to establish foundations, the calling to build teams, because although the apostolic is almost like the bow of a ship going through the water, the bow goes first and the rest of the ship follows, you wouldn't get very far if all you had was a bow. So every apostolic leader needs a team desperately. And so apostolic leaders build teams. Apostolic leaders develop the leaders for those new works because although the apostolic initiates and lays foundations, others come to take on the work and to carry it forward. I love the expression in Romans 15 when Paul says, since there is no more work for me to do in these regions, I'm going to go to Spain, and I hope to visit you on the way, but first I'm going to Jerusalem. Well, this is just uh, kind of a, a description of apostolic leaders. So the building uh, or the developing of other leaders. Um, so all of that is part of the um, calling and gifting of the apostolic. That's really good, and it's that description that you just gave of, of Paul. I know many others would be looking at that situation and saying, there's so much work left to be due, or to be done, in, in the sense of, look at the brokenness, look at the lives, look at the discipleship, look at all the things that still need to be integrated. But for Paul, the foundations had been laid, and that work had been entrusted to others. And so that's a very, um, very great picture, I think, of the apostolic at work. And so, George, you've shared that you um, and Hannah, you guys are uniquely gifted, and you've described you, you, you carry a major in the apostolic and a minor in the prophetic, but she carries a major in the prophetic and a minor in the apostolic. So, Hannah, we'd love to hear from you. How, how do we understand the prophetic gifting? Well, to answer you, I have to kind of filter it through my own experience and understanding. And I think um, when I hear the word prophetic gifting, the first thing uh, that I think of is the prophet is the one who speaks for God. Uh, the, po the prophet cooperates with God and... For me, that's a big warning not to run ahead of God. And um, the other thing I think of is how Jesus promised uh, the disciples when he left, uh, the Holy Spirit would come and would lead into truth. And I think uh, the prophet is very dependent on the Holy Spirit and uh, I believe the prophet needs to really seek God's voice and to uh, to listen, to listen first. And um, I also think in relation to that, those who hear the prophet uh, in the same way um, need to listen and seek God's voice. 
because with the prophet, there is a great danger uh, with that gifting of taking over and um, assuming a role which can actually bring harm. Um, I think for me, one of the, the most um, uh, important um, questions to ask myself with prophetic gifting is, uh, do, am I seeking the praise of men? Because the praise of men uh, will lead to a grave error with grave consequences. So having uh, given some of the negatives, I think there's nothing like um, being a, a little child and looking into the face of the father and uh, listening and asking, what does he want to say? And I, I just have this sense that our world today is uh, starving uh, for the voice of God. And, you know, when I um, look at the news on the internet, when I hear what's happening, I keep asking, what, what, Lord, what are you saying? What, what are you doing? I think uh, another aspect of the prophetic gift which is not so much uh, in, the, in our awareness, is prophetic acts. And, you know, just sharing from my own experience, prophetic acts. Well, Hannah, that's such a, a, a beautiful definition. And even as you share it, I hear you even prophetically speaking. Uh, <laughs> it's just a, a part of who you are. And I think what you have to, sh what you've shared is is very important because I know there's a lot of confusion around specifically these two gift types, uh, the apostolic and the prophetic, which, when not operating in health, can lead to deep wounding. And I know that some listening have probably experienced that and are looking for the 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 ways in which those things are meant to be operating and how they can operate in health and in maturity. And with that, that gets me to, you know, not just looking at these things in, in terms of concepts and definitions, but how do they practically flesh themselves out? And that's where I wanted to hear about your work in the Eiffel, because I think this is a beautiful example of where the two of you in your unique gift mixes have operated apostolically and prophetically to see a work that's bringing in a mature way healing and reconciliation. So can you speak to that work in the Eiffel and how you guys have operated in that unique gift mix together? In the year 1999, uh, Antioch Network was growing significantly and we were trying to keep up with it all and we never got any breaks and we were tired. And I promised Hannah the next summer, the summer of 2000, that I would take her anywhere in the world that American Airlines flies. We had all kind of frequent flyer miles. And I was ready for her to say someplace like Tahiti in the South Pacific. But she said, you know, I think I'm ready to go to Europe and research where my parents came from because Hannah had not seen her parents since she was seven. And we knew the town in Germany where she and her Jewish family lived for her first seven years of life. 
But we didn't really know where her mother and father came from. They came from other places. So in the summer of the year 2000, we went back to Germany, and we planned to spend one night in Gmund, Hannah's hometown. And within 30 minutes of arriving, we began to meet Germans who knew Hannah and who knew her family when they were living there in the 30s. Um, one couple was Maria and Dita. Maria was the daughter uh, whose parents were friends with Hannah's parents. She knew everything about uh, Hannah's story as a German Jew whose parents died in the Holocaust. And we began to meet other people as well. And that summer, the God said to us, come back next summer and spend a month in Gmund. So we came back the next summer. We spent a month going around different places in Gmund, praying at all the places that were painful for Hannah, where her family house had stood, where the Jewish cemetery was, where the schoolyard was, where Hannah and the other Jewish children were put in the middle and these nasty, violent Nazi songs were sung at them. The movie theater where she was denied access, the swimming pool where she was denied access. And in each one of these places, we prayed. And the more we prayed, the more we prayed, and I heard Hannah pray for blessing. Lord Jesus, you know the pain, you know the evil, you know the violence that was taking place here. We pray for your cleansing. We pray for your coming. We pray for your forgiveness. We pray for your healing. We pray your blessing to come to the people of Gamun. We pray your blessing to come to the people of the Eiffel. And that summer, the Lord spoke to us and said, come back next summer with intercessors. And that began five summers of us being in the Eiffel with intercessors, praying for God's blessing on this region from which Hannah and her family in early 1939 were driven. And God began to open amazing doors, and all this was happening. We didn't plan this. This wasn't our thought. This was an initiative that God was thrusting us into. And really, the, the highlight of all of this was when the decision was made by the local town, Gmund had his hometown, to lay what is called in German Stolpersteine, which are brass bricks placed in the pavement, in the sidewalk, in front of the houses where Jewish victims of the Holocaust used to live, in memory and in honor of those former citizens of Gmund. And in front of Hannah's home were laid stones for her father and her mother and her uncle. And these stones are very um, accurate. They actually put the day they were born, the day they died, and where they died. And then in addition to that, Gamun was coming up on its 800th anniversary of its founding. And the mayor approached Hannah and said, Hannah, we're going to have this 800th celebration. We would like you to be the honorary patron of Gamun's 800th anniversary to represent and honor the former Jewish citizens of our town. And this ended up with a big meeting. 500 people in the old Kursaal, which is where in the 30s they used to have all the Nazi meetings. And Hannah was the speaker. And Hannah spoke um, of her faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And she spoke grace and forgiveness to the people of Gamun. And when she sat down, people stood up and applauded. 
And so talk about prophetic acts. These are all examples of prophetic acts. Again, it wasn't something we planned. We didn't have an idea about it. We didn't write books about it. It was something God did, but it was a spontaneous expression of Hannah's prophetic act. Now, I'll add something else real quick. <clears throat> During this whole time in the Eiffel, um, I was very honored by how many people said to me, George, it is so wonderful to see the way that you are supporting your wife in this whole process. Well, I didn't deny that. I'm not, I, I was thankful for that. But actually, it was more than that. Because, Danny, as you've already kind of alluded to, although my primary um, calling and gifting in my own understanding is the apostolic, I also have a minor in the prophetic. And Hannah has a minor in the apostolic. And so here we were serving together. So I was supporting my wife. I was loving her, helping her, but at the same time, I was expressing my own calling. And she was also expressing the apostolic part of her calling. So this whole thing in the Eiffel was a combination, not only of the prophetic, but also of, of the apostolic, and God calling us as a married couple to serve in that way together. That's really profound. In I love the merging of the apostolic and prophetic in this particular work in leading into those two specific um, acts with the Solper Shines and being the patron of the 800th anniversary. That introduces another paradigm of the prophetic that I, I don't know that we always engage or fully understand, because often the prophetic is understood in terms of signs and wonders and other means. But when you speak of prophetic acts, um, Hannah in particular, could you kind of unpack um, what that means and how you understand these prophetic acts? Yes. You know, um, I kind of listening to George, it's interesting. Uh, you know the story, you, you were there, you heard it. And now listening again, I, I'm thinking of the wonderful way God has set this up, apostolic and prophetic, and also the other gifts. Because you see, the in my role, I, George talked about accompanying me. The apostolic is there to protect the prophetic because one of the things about the prophetic is the danger of going off on your own you're very vulnerable because you don't really know is this of God and then people responding so you see God has set up the checks and balances so the apostolic uh, protects the person of the prophetic but also the message the message is important. So you see, that was really going on in action because we would talk together about what was going on f and seeking God's confirmation. And it was a huge uh, provision. Um, now, ask me the question again, because <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> well, yeah, no, that, that was, that's so rich, and it's beautiful to see <laughs> that dynamic at work because I think, George, you could probably affirm the prophetic protected you in allowing a new work to be initiated that you weren't anticipating. Um, it was Hannah's leading to not go to Tahiti and throwing a curveball into your agenda and plans that allowed this new work to be birthed as well. Let me just uh, say this in two sentences. The biggest mistakes I have made in Christian ministry 
have been in Christian ministry since 1960. The biggest mistakes I've made have been not listening to my wife. <laughs> that's a that's a good word, and I, I I I'm guessing there's a number of those who are probably listening to this who will amen that and affirm it, and I know I can join that as well in my own marriage. And so, um, it's a gift to see see that still playing out today um, in your guys's marriage. And so, Hannah, um, to return to just that question, this paradigm of prophetic acts, what? What is your understanding of it, and um, how do you see that, you know, at work? Because these two specific actions that we mentioned, again, the Stolpersteins and your role of being the honorary patron on the 800th anniversary, they were engaging something on a deep spiritual level that I don't think we always fully understand or are aware of, but allowed for this prophetic gifting to manifest in a unique and powerful way? Um, first of all, I would say that um, the act began uh, as a response to an invitation. Uh, we did not kind of strategize and say, like, uh, let's have this ministry in Gemünd. Uh, I think both the Stolperstein and that big meeting and the celebration of 800 years, there was an invitation from the town to participate. And it was, I think, um, in the minds of the people who were inviting us, we had uh, formed relationships and I think the prayers that George pray, mentioned us praying together in the places of pain, there was the sense of my forgiving in that and the miracle of that, Jesus giving that gift, but also releasing those perpetrators to God. And I think something happened in the heavens. So there was this foundation laid for this invitation to come. And so it was far easier for us to know we should do it when we received those invitations. And um, I think that um, many of the people, some, not, some were believers, but many were not. But it was almost like a secular repentance. So the prophetic act... Um, is not a power act. It's actually a, an act of sacrificial love because, um, you know, laying the Stolperstein in the street in front of our house brings back the losses and the pain and the injustice. So um, to do a prophetic act is not triumphalism. It is obedience uh, along a hard road, but woven into that um, act is enormous grace from God. And I would say it is the most exhilarating thing to be in the flow of what the Holy Spirit is doing when it comes from the heart of God. And, uh, you know, to be engaged in God ministering forgiveness to those people was an amazing thing 
And, you know, um, when you think about it, the, um, the big meeting, you know, um, in Germany, uh, events are given great honor. And there is a, just a sense of belonging to this town, you know, Gmünd. And they are celebrating 800 years. So to actually think about the Jews who had lived there for hundred, several hundred years and been accepted citizens and who had been uh, driven out and murdered and maybe whose uh, the forefathers of those people who stood up at the end, they were perhaps some of the people who did the bad stuff, you know. So, uh, again, this prophetic act was like an act of release, of forgiveness. And it was kind of a revelation of how God um, is a God of mercy and grace. So a prophetic act should reveal the character of God. That's really powerful, and I think that that puts again this perspective on the nature of the prophetic. Is it, it's rooted in the heart of God, and so as much as we look for signs of the kingdom and power, the reality is the kingdom is revealed in crucifixion, in yeah. death, in humility, yeah. in submission, in weakness, and its greatest strength is its capacity to forgive those um, who've committed those acts, and so. Yeah. Can you speak particularly then, tying this into your own personal narrative and walking in these prophetic acts to your experience in Chelmno? Yes. Um, you know, George mentioned about uh, people uh, m noticing that he cared for me. So he was there all the way to Chelmno. And also, this is, brings us to the role of the apostolic and the prophetic. Just to underline, again, that that is God's provision. The, the apostolic protects the prophetic. You know, because if you are speaking for God, you, you're just out there. And um, well, pe maybe people will reject that. And maybe they'll accept it and praise you. But the apostolic um, helps to sift that experience and to, to bring you to truth and to uh, humility in it. And so I think that's God's provision for the prophetic. And it's dangerous to be a prophet uh, out on your own, doing your messaging uh, just without any connection with anyone. So I'm so very thankful for George. And uh, I would say uh, one of the biggest deals in our marriage was this trip to Chelmno. Chelmno is the place uh, that was uh, a killing center. It's not well known like Auschwitz, but it was actually uh, the first place um, where gas was used to kill Jews. And my parents died there. It's in Poland, right in the middle of nowhere, not far from the Lotz ghetto. And um, we um, were 
called from God to this prophetic act of following my parents' footsteps all the way from Gmünd to Cologne and across the country into Poland uh, to the place where they died in Chumno. And um, when we arrived in Chumno, uh, we came to the place where they had been driven into the gas van. It was like a big truck or lorry uh, that had been set up where the exhaust went into the cab and they pushed 70 um, or so uh, naked Jews into the back of the van, locked the door and started the engine and the gas went into the van. And that's where my parents died. And you know, uh, this was uh, perhaps the most costly and the most um, challenging prophetic act. But I just felt God was telling me to go there. And the thing was that I was with eight friends. George and I were with eight friends. And one of those eight friends uh, was an Austrian. Her name was Verena. And uh, her father was a leading Nazi in Austria, and he was among the Austrian uh, powerful to open the door to Hitler in Austria. And Verena had spent years um, bringing her repentance and her pain and her sorrow about her ancestry to God. And she had experienced an encounter with Jesus and had experienced healing. And Verena and I found ourselves at the locked gate. It was a national holiday and we couldn't... My desire, my vision, had been to stand in the place where my parents had stepped into the van and pray, pray to be released from that, to forgive and to gain forgiveness. That had been my vision in this journey. And here we were, locked out on the national holiday, no way in. And I suddenly heard weeping. And Verena was down on her knees at the gate, weeping deep, deep sobs of repentance. And that uh, reached deep into my heart. And the Lord led me to say to her, the Lord has heard you, you are forgiven. But in my forgiving Verena and her past, I also found healing and redemption. So uh, to summarize, acts of repentance are leading, acts of uh, prophetic, prophetic acts lead to the deepest repentance and the deepest healing. Thank you for sharing that. And to discover that repentance and that healing through the quiet sobs and tears. And I think this, again, this paradigm of the prophetic act, we, we can think of them often in demonstrative terms, again, in power and being grandiose. But it was in the quiet space with a group of 10 
where this deep work of the Spirit was manifesting, and it was through the willingness to embrace the pain and the realities of the past. And so to see the prophetic working on that level, I think, opens us to the breadth and to the depth of what God wants to do through it. So thank you, Hannah, for sharing that story. And George and Hannah, I I know that as we've had this discussion and as we've talked through these particular giftings manifesting in your life and marriage, um, that this work that began in the Eiffel has now matured into a ministry by the name of Quellen. And again, Quellen, its purpose is to heal the past, transform the present, and guide the future. Can you speak to the work that you see God doing through Quellen, and even now, how are you seeing this work being handed off even to other generations? You know, the ministry that we've been talking about in the Eiffel kind of led into, many others were involved in this, but led us into the initiative called Wittenberg 2017, which was an initiative um, aimed at using the anniversary of the Protestant Reformation for an occasion to pray for the unity of the body of Christ. We were very much involved. Others were involved, including Germans. And one German family that was involved were the Benekis, um, father and mother, and then one of, the, one of their sons and his wife. Um, they were part of that ministry. And although that was a ministry of reconciliation, we also understood that the ministry of reconciliation required Christ-likeness of character because reconciliation is not just some act that is unrelated to who we are as people. And so you've got reconciliation, healing the past. You've got transforming the present, discipleship, spiritual formation. And when the Wittenberg Initiative was all over, Hannah and I thought our time in the IFO was over. We had given up our apartment there. And we didn't know what was next, but we didn't really care what was next. We were tired, and we wanted just to go home and rest. And um, this younger couple came to us in their 30s, German couple, Ludwig and Cecily. And they said the most honoring things to us. They said, look, we would like you to come and teach us. We need to be able to learn from older people, we want to learn from you and from others. And Ludwig's parents had said the same kind of things to us. And so I often think about that as the discussion by the elevator because we met, it was late at night and we were where we were staying, we met in front of the elevator and just sat there and talked for a couple of hours. But in a very real way, that was the birth of what has become Quillen. And Danny, you're absolutely right. That shows you that right in the beginning of Quellen, although in one sense, it's so much a part of our calling, the Ministry of Reconciliation, the Ministry of Discipleship, the Ministry of Raising Up Future Generations. Although it's so much a part of us, it's also birthed right from the beginning by the generations that follow us. And so 
Uh, we're just watching what God is doing through the ministry of Quellen in Germany and in other places as well, the states and other places as well. And we're watching him bring in the coming generations. And George and Hannah have the unspeakably joyful, honoring privilege of being able to share whatever God may have given us with younger people who want to have it. They want it. So here we are. In one real way, mentoring is simply saying to someone, what I have, I will give to you as much as I can and as much as you want. <laughs> and so, uh, indeed, the ministry of Quellen is growing um, because of the initiative of younger people. And I must say that it is a special joy to see it growing in Germany. A tree has been planted in Germany. And this is also a prophetic act. I'll, I'll close with this, Danny. A German Jew, Hannah Miley, whose parents were gassed to death in a gray van on May the 3rd, 1942, by Germans, has been led of God back to Germany with the message that Jesus changes people, that he has the power to change bitterness into forgiveness and hatred into love. And God has taken this German Jew back to Germany. She has been joined by other Germans who share the same heart. And a work has been planted and rooted in the soil of Germany that we are watching to grow. It's being it's growing more and more because of the work of others. But we're kind of along for the ride. They, they've got the chariot moving forward, and they've given us a seat in the chariot. So we're just kind of going forward with them. But um, that's a great joy for us. Well, George and Hannah, it's been a great joy for me to be able to share this space with you and to... Uh, receive from you and learn from your story. And as we conclude, I just, I'm reminded that the story that you guys are telling is the story of God at work in your world and in your lives and in and through you to place these giftings in you. And the unique twists and turns reveal the nature of his heart. And so um, continue to just pray for Quellen and ask the Lord to bless it, and especially as it's being planted and rooted in Germany and with these younger leaders and that the Lord's prayer will be answered in and through his people specifically through the gifting of apostolic and prophetic that his kingdom come and his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven so thank you thank you Danny I wonder if I could add just one word this Benicky family have the most incredible gift of hospitality and they have a very big house it's a form of monastery and so I don't know, I don't want to jump ahead of the game here, but it could be that one or two people who are listening to this podcast will end up being guests in the Benicke home in Northern Bavaria, uh, which is the headquarters of Quellen. So just to know that. And as somebody who's received from their hospitality, I can affirm that if they give you that invitation, say yes to them. Yeah. <laughs>